Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching with TBA rabbinic intern Rachel Cohn. Before we dive into the text, I was just curious to hear from people if you think this, you know, this name that became the na- one of the names of the Jewish people, the people of Israel, like, does it resonate for you, the idea that we're supposed to be God wrestlers? Um, I'd just be curious to hear some thoughts about that before we dive in. That's scary. I mean, one of the things we always do is we struggle with God. God. Why did you do this? Why didn't you do this? Um, there's always questioning. And I think that's, that's part of, part of our, our nature. Beautiful. And I think also, Wrestling is like your tendons and the ligaments and the muscles and the bones and Judaism is right on earth with all that stuff. Lovely. Yep. I've always been like struck by the fact that the term we use for for our legal process is halacha as opposed to like sofa derech, like you've gotten there, you've arrived, right? Like it implies halacha means like to be on the way or to be walking, to be on a journey. So to me, that implies that it's almost much more about the process, about the struggle, about the gray, than necessarily where you end up at the end of the day. Beautiful. Um, and also, you know, you mentioned walking, which also is, is an embodied thing um, that can also, you know, connect us to to our bodies, like we, you know, like we heard about the the ligaments and the 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 physicality of like the wrestling too, right? Beautiful. Like there's there's a process of being engaged in a dialogue in a struggle um, that's embodied in this name and and with halacha, like you mentioned. Um, lovely. Thank you. Other other thoughts out there? I was just gonna say that I I really like it because I think that it actually gives us room and opportunity and maybe even the word is an excuse to be able to not always say like, yeah, I told this, of course, like this makes total sense. I love everything about this. Um, and it allows you to, to struggle with it. And that in our name, we're supposed to be doing that as opposed to looking for reasons that it might be okay up front. It's saying, this is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Great. Um, and I think we'll see in, in the section of the text that we'll look at how we see that modeled in, in Yaakov in the way that he approaches the situation. Um, I'll just add a quick line about this, uh, <laughs> the idea of being God wrestlers. When I was teaching a class of Hebrew school students that this is what Yisrael meant, one of the, <clears throat> I think it was eighth grade um, young women in the class, she goes, oh, I'm totally going to go around telling people I'm a wrestler. Do you think that's true or not? And if they say no, she'll be, it is say, it is true. I'm a God wrestler. <laughs> um, so I just love that, like even the teenagers I taught there was something that they could that they could hold on to for that. Um, all right. So if you have the sheet with you, great. You can follow along. If not, I um, I'll say the general piece of the text that we're reading from is Genesis chapter thirty-two, verses twenty-five to thirty. So even if you don't have the sheet, you can look it up in Humash uh, thirty-two, verses twenty-five to thirty. Is there anybody who would like to read that main section um, from? from the Genesis story about Yaakov to give us the context of what we're talking about. This is the, the scene where um, he's basically preparing to meet Esau the next day. And he's not really sure what he's going to encounter. He heard that he was, that Esau was preparing for battle 
Yaakov had sent some, basically a, a, a gift, a large gift of some flocks to try and appease him. But he's truly, he's not sure what he's going to encounter and um, had been praying to God saying, you know, like, oi, I'm afraid, please save me. And then this is kind of the moment that we find ourselves in at night. So would anybody like to to read it for us in um, in English for, with Hebrew there to guide you if you'd like? I'll read. Sure. Great. Thank you so much. That same night he arose and taking his two wives, his maidservants, and his 11 children, he crossed the fort of the Yavuk. After taking them across the stream, he sent across all his possessions. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he wrenched Jacob's hip at its socket, so that the socket of his hip was strained as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for dawn is breaking. But he answered, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Said the other, what is your name? He replied, Jacob. Said he, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with beings divine and human and have prevailed. Jacob asked, pray, um, tell me. No, no, great. You can, you can finish that line where that's just sort of the section that we're going to focus on. Jacob asked, pray, tell me your name. But he said, you must not ask my name. And he took leave of him there. Great. Thank you so much. Um, so the piece I want us to eventually get to is basically thinking about the part where Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. To me, that's kind of at the crux of like what he's wrestling with. Like not only he wrestled, but then he also asked for a blessing. So, but before we get to like who, who or what he was asking a blessing from, I want to think about like what, what or who was he, was he wrestling? So when it says um, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him in Hebrew, um, the commentary is pretty clear that it's not actually a man. So let's look at what what the commentators think, what or who the commentators think Jacob was actually struggling with. So if you have the sheet in front of you, um, source number two, this Rashi, is there anyone who can read the Rashi for us? Great. Norm, you can unmute yourself. I think you're muted. You're muted still. I was muted. Now I have to go back to where I have it. Okay. Uh, our rabbis of blessed memory explained that he was Asaph's guardian angel. Okay. Um, yes. So this is Rashi. He's kind of summarizing a piece from, from Midrash and Genesis Rabbah, saying this was the guardian angel of, of Esau. And would you mind reading the Chizkuni also, since that's, that's nice and short too? A man wrestled with him, an angel in the form of a person. The angel had come to prevent Yankov from escaping Asaph. Okay, great. Thank you. So, um, so there's, you know, there's some similarity between these pieces. They basically both think it's, it's an angel that's meant to protect Esau in some piece. Um, I see the Chizkuni is adding a slight bit of detail saying, like, what was the angel there for? Was it just to like, you know, embody Esau so he could, you know, fr like freak Yaakov out? Or like, what was going on? It seems like Chizkuni is saying, it, you know, it wasn't actually to freak him out. It was to make sure he stayed so that he would still, um, you know, kind of prepare for the battle with Asav. 
Um, any other like thoughts or questions that come up for people about these two? Uh, yeah, go ahead. I don't think that that explanation of his community makes a whole lot of sense because the angel fails um, and there was no threat to Asa from Yaakov leaving. So Yaakov is leaving. Asa is going to be left at home with his parents available to him and um, no more rivalry, no more rival. The rivalry is there, but the rival is, is leaving and, Frankly, it's going to be gone for a, a long time. Um, so it just doesn't make sense that his guardian angel would be trying to prevent this from happening. Right. I, yeah, I kind of agree with you. It's like you would think the guardian angel might actually say, sure, Yaakov, like you don't want to fight him. Fine. You gave him that big gift. Sweet. He's happy. Like, go do whatever you want. Um I, I happen to kind of agree with you on that one. The, you know, the Rashi one, it's more, it's more general. It's just saying he's a guardian angel. So if we could maybe... Instead of Chizkuni's added added layer, if we just read the Rashi and said, okay, it's Asaph's guardian angel, what else might you think the guardian angel was there to do? Just your own thoughts. Marshall, go ahead. Well, we know that Asaph and um, Yaakov struggled together from the womb. So maybe the guardian angel was there to continue the struggle. Right. If we, I mean, and certainly if we think about it in that way, that's, you know, that's exactly what happened. The guardian angel continued struggling with Yaakov until, you know, until literally it seemed it wasn't possible. And even then it's like, okay, well, you can't win, but I'm still going to mess with your hip. So you're going to have like a permanent mark of this struggle, even though you're going to win. So, right. I think that that fits the nature of their kind of ongoing conflict, at least until this point that, so great. You can write your, your, uh, Bible commentary, and we'll publish it on Safari too. It's actually on Robert Alter. <laughs> Rabbi Schatz? Um, this isn't answering your question, but going back to the idea of Ish, I this is something that I struggle with in many different partio, that the rabbis like to comment their way out of the fact that maybe it was just a guy, <laughs> right? Like when Abraham has three Anashim visit him, all of the commentators are saying, oh, it was angels. Of course it had to be angels because he needed to feel God's presence. Just let it be a guy. Let him ha- let him wrestle with a guy. And, and it can still be that God was in that moment. But the fact that it says Ish and all of these, co- I don't have the source sheet, unfortunately, in front of me, but even in the Eitz Chaim, all of these commentators are saying it had to be a divine being. It was a force within him. Let it be a guy. They would have used another word had it not actually been a guy. And in the last verse that Joanna read, it says, um, uh, Kisarit im Elohim ve'im anashim ve'tuchal, right? That it was that that he has both struggled with God and with people. So maybe it really was just a guy. Like, uh-huh. why couldn't Jacob be strong enough to just struggle with another person? just get into a brawl and, you know, he probably helped him like work out some tension that he was the nervousness he was feeling for facing Asaph. So in your Rabbi Shatz, in your reading of it with, with the line that says you've, you've struggled with, you know, divine and man or God and men, where in Yaakov's life do you see as the, the struggle with God then, if you would read this as just a guy? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a different kind of struggle. It's a very fair question, and I had a feeling that you might ask it. <laughs> um, it's it's a fair question. I think that 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 struggle was probably you know with Rachel and Leia and having kids, or maybe even later on when Joseph dies and Jacob struggles with that grief. Um, there's also the struggle. It's not it's not a bad struggle. It's a it's the good kind of struggle with the dream that I actually spoke about it this morning, right? This idea of what are those angels doing? How am I, how am I to now move forward with this divine impact on my life? Um, so I think that there have been other moments of struggle, though not physical struggle. Right. As, as is often how we struggle with God. It, it's right. often not, not this physical. Right. Um, so I see Lisa and then Stevie and then, and then Marshall. It's such a lively uh, topic. And it's, it's exciting to me because I remember learning in the Zohar that there's a category of person called an atzmi. So going back to the wrestlers, right? An atzmi is someone who's in touch with their atzamot, with their wounds. And they don't have to be Jewish. For example, Yitro, Moshe's teacher, mm-hmm. was an atzmi. He was a person who realized his, his godness, his god beingness through, through going inside, 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 inside. Mm-hmm. So I wonder here if the ish he's wrestling is an atzmi, someone who really knew who he was, knew his connection to the earth and to heaven at the same time. Mm, very nice. Thanks so for bringing that connection for us. Actually, is one of the definitions of Israel. Israel is not just somebody that's Jewish, it's someone that knows their link to the earth and their link to Shemaim at the same time. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you. Um, Stevie? No, no. Oh, okay. Um, I just, uh, to support what Rabbi Schatz was saying, um, Sarita, doesn't necessarily mean struggled against divine beings. It could be struggled on a team along with divine beings, in which case Jacob's life has, you know, plenty of that. Right. Very nice. And the rabbis are big into reading uh, big differences into small prepositions. Like, when we hear that, that like Hannah prayed, like, um, like Al Hashem, the rabbis read that as being confrontational. But if this is Im, you know, I think there's plenty room exactly like, like you're saying to read it as being in partnership. Um, and I think that's, that's actually a really beautiful lesson to take from this, that struggle doesn't have to be oppositional. Struggle can be like, God, I'm working through something and I need you to like partner with me in, in thinking this through and we're going to struggle together. Um, if anybody knows about Rabbi Artson, Rabbi Artson writes a lot about process theology that kind of like you and God are walking a path together. And I think, I think he would be, he's, um, he, anyway, if you, if you catch him, he loves talking about that. So I think that he'd be really into that, <laughs> like really looking at that Eam. Um, beautiful. Marshall, you had another thought? Yes. I just want to do a deliberate misreading of Chis Kuni. So we know that the Hebrew letters, Kaf, or chaf, let's say kaf, has the same sound as a kuf, right? So we take a look here, actually, in the Hebrew text, by Yavek ish imol malach bidmut ish, and then it says le'akvo. And if one were just hear le'akvo, almost you're hearing the name Yaakov there. So I'm deliberately misreading the text, but I think that's what's happening in the text itself, because our translator here has said, the angel has come to prevent Yaakov from escaping Esau. Yaakov's name is not mentioned specifically. It's just the, the personal pronoun, the O, him. Mm-hmm. Nice. I mean, that's, mid, that's Midrash in a nutshell. That's, that's exactly 
exactly how the rabbis read so many things into it. Um, so that's great. Um, so let's, um, I think to address some of the concerns or questions people raised about, you know, like, you know, is it a man? Could there be other things? Or like, what, um, what might be another purpose to this, this struggle encounter? If it's not just, you know, Asav's guardian angel, if we look at what Radak has to say, he has, he still says it's an angel, but he has a slightly different view of the nature of the encounter. So is there anyone, um, anyone who would like to read Radak for us? Marlies, great. Thank you. Okay. Um, a man refers to an angel. And similarly, man is used to refer to an angel in Joshua. And the man means the angel Gabriel in the book of Daniel. They referred to angels who spoke with humans and appeared to them as people, as people, as men. God sent the angel, this angel to Jacob to strengthen his heart so he would not be afraid of Asaph. And he struggled with him until the break of dawn. This is an allusion to Jacob that there would be light after darkness. So how, um, you know, Marlies, you're welcome to, or anyone else, how is this read of the encounter different from what we were describing before? Um, well, it seems like it's, it, it says he's trying to prepare him to um, help him. It's kind of like that same thing that um, I guess Stevie was saying about the struggling with him. Right, right. It's more, it's meant to be a source of support. And the the small piece of it that I had um, cut out in the middle, just so we can all get this on a nice page, was basically saying it was like a preparatory small challenge to say, well, if he could prevail against this, you know, this divine being, then, oh, easy peasy, no problem, he could prevail against um, against Aesop. So it was kind of meant to bolster his confidence. Uh, uh, yeah, Norman? Um it clearly is getting rid of the concept that this is Asaph's guardian angel. Um, he may be an angel, he may be a man, he may be something else altogether, but he's not Asaph's guardian angel. Oh, um, also, I'll say uh, Professor James Kogel, uh, in his book, uh, The God That Was, I think, um, talks extensively about angels and concludes that this is sort of the pattern that, right, there's this person that appears and then there's later this revelation that it was actually God and that sort of whole process is referred to as an angel um and so what Radak is getting at I think is actually supported in you know numerous biblical texts that you know you could write a book someone's written a whole book about right there's not just not just a few examples but um right and it seems like what you're suggesting is there, it maybe doesn't have to be a binary between was it a human or was it godly that like there could have even been perhaps an encounter with a person, but the process of that struggle could have, you know, had divine influence in it. Is that, is that a fair? It's both. I mean, it's like, like the person literally is God and, but like the recognition of that is, you know, delayed. It, it, well, it's delayed, but, but is only possible because this person has this, spiritual, uh, you know, uh, availability to, to recognize that. Mm -hmm. Great. And, and yes, this is, it seems almost more like it's Yaakov's guardian angel in this case than, than Aesop's. Larry. Sorry. So I'm not so sure that it's necessarily, uh, we have to abandon the idea that it's Aesop's guardian angel. So what was it that 
that Yaakov was intending to do. Um, one of the things he was trying to protect himself and 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 some of his possessions and 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 family from what he thought would be an attack by by Esau. In other words, he was thinking absolutely the worst of Esau. And we can possibly see this as a midrash that Esau's guardian angel is coming to tell him, "No, don't flee." Because, in fact, your brother is ready to reconcile with you. Now, I know this reads against the traditional interpretation of what Esau was really intending to do. But, in fact, I admit I'm influenced by the television show Fargo in the fourth season, where there are two brothers, one who actually resembles Esau as we understand him, crude and big and large and thuggish, who, in fact, wants to reconcile with his brother. And it may well be that it's the angel who who is telling him, it's time to go and to meet with him. And in fact, isn't that what happens? Is There's no mention of anything happening other than, I think, Jacob raised his eyes and saw, and look, Esau was coming. So he was convinced, and I think that Jacob is in the back when he's, when he's sleeping and having this, this struggle. So he actually moves to the front at some point of his family and of his flocks. And he's convinced that, he needs to go and to allow Esau to reconcile with him, not just to reconcile with Esau, but to reconcile with him. And that be, may be one way of understanding the angel. That's beautiful. Um, you're pointing out that guardian angel doesn't have to be a being that's only looking out for the best interests of Esau. It's almost the guardian angel as as a mediator or uh, uh, helping in the peacekeeping. That's, um, that's really beautiful. Um, thank you. Joanna? Um. I wanted to sort of connect a little bit, interestingly, to um, a Dvar Torah that I heard this morning with the minion that I davened this morning on um, the dream that was at the beginning of this week's Parsha, um, the famous dream of the ladders, where there's, um, in the description of what's going, taking place in the in the dream, to read the JPS translation, angels of God were going up and down on it, and everyone typically understands the it to refer to the latter. And I can't remember if the person who gave the Dvar Torah actually quoted this specific commentary, but referenced a Hasidic commentary that understands Bo not to be a reference to the latter, but Malachi Elohim Olim Beordim Bo to be within him. Bo could be translated to be within him. So it was his, you know, talking about the wrestling, it was his own internal struggle. And touching on some of the things that have been said here, I wonder if like the Atzmi is is Yaakov himself, like that this is an internal struggle with, you know, let's say his Yetzer or, you know, trying to work something through. And the other place it takes me to is that we all have a spark of the divine within us. So when we talk about wrestling with a divine being, is there some sense here that God was in essence trying to empower Yaakov to access his own divineness and in order to be able to overcome what what lay ahead for him? Very nice. Very nice. Lisa? We can see, I, I, I really appreciate what you just said, Joanna. It reminds me of um, when um, Melchizedek came to Avraham. And Melchizedek doesn't appear very much in our sources. But, but if we really look deeply what it is, Melchizedek introduced Avraham to his essence, to his atzmiyut, to his higher self. 
So any man that inter any man or woman that introduces us to our higher self will tick light the spark on that inner ladder, that bow, right? And even the word sulam is like salam, like uh, a sulam is a scale. It's not just a ladder. It's a scale. It's a, it also means peace. It, it's, it means health in Arabic. There's so many references to the word salam, sulams, salam, shalom, shalem. So I, I, uh, I second your uh, vision on the bow, meaning inside him. Uh, very nice. You're all you're all um, on on exactly the 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 thought train I was and connecting this to his prior struggles. But before we go there, Brant, have you been raising a hand? Always troubled by the trashing of Esau. <laughs> and hey, tell maybe, us more about maybe it's because you know I'm the son of a psych child psychiatrist, but I I just find this whole story of these two guys. They're twins from the same mother, right? I think they more represent that we that the future of Judaism is a constant struggle between these two sides of the personality. And whoever wrote these commentaries, I'm reading the Schatzenstein, you know, footnotes where they go to great lengths to to promote uh, Israel at the expense of his brother, who's the evil. And so and, and you never know when these comments are written and what type of things they're trying to address. But there seems, and I've said this before, I think there's a constant struggle between the cerebral Jew and the physical Jew. And Esau represents the physical, and Jacob represents the cerebral. And the rabbis who did all this stuff expressed a clear preference for the Torah-studying cerebral Jew. Mm -hmm. And this story shows you that even the cerebral guy can struggle and get enough strength and be able to deal with the physical. And, and I just... I just, it really bought, has always bothered me reading about how they, how all of the commentaries go to great lengths to create the evil twin. And mm -hmm. I just, I've never been comfortable with it. And I think a better explanation is that it represents different aspects of a single Jew's personality that keeps bearing itself out and constantly struggling the physical against the cerebral. But I know that I'm the only one who holds that view, so. Oh, no, I think that's great. And I think you're right that the, I mean, <clears throat> you know, whatever the, the persecution du jour was, often you'll see in, you know, Rashi was living through the Crusades, that often the, the, the quote unquote, people traditionally read as bad guys in the Torah get, you know, get read, whether they say it explicitly or not, you know, they consider like, like, um, like Edom is supposed to be Rome. And, you know, that Aesop is, is associated with these, you know, these other like peoples who were, who were creating problems for whatever time they're living in. But I think you're right that there's like, there's a, a more, even more enduring internal struggle. Other people have mentioned internal struggles. And I think you're totally right. Like we're still dealing with that now. I think we have a, a, a whole lot of work we can do better as a Jewish community in figuring out how to help people connect to their their embodied Judaism. And I think you're, you're totally right that there's a lot of that, you know, manifest in this conflict. Uh, Norman. I just wanted to second Brandt's motion and point out that Rabbi Clive Lawson frequently uh, takes the position that Asaph has been um, denigrated, but in fact, what Asaph does, he lives in the moment. He doesn't plan ahead all the time. He's a perfectly decent person, but he lives in the moment. Yaakov was always planning and plotting and deciding 
you know, what's going to happen. And in this case, you'll do this. And in that case, you'll do that. <coughs> Clearly, the rabbis like him, but it's not Asaph's fault. Asaph is just one of those nice people, an ordinary person, lives in the moment, does what feels good right now, doesn't harm anybody particularly, but doesn't really think carefully about what he's doing and what's what's the future. So, um, so yeah, thank you for that. There's there's a lot of different, you know, we can look at the many layers of what that to flush out that that conflict that that Brant was trying to bring to our attention. So let's, you, you know, we've named a lot of the different pieces of what this struggle was, whether it was internal, with whether it was, you know, a representative on behalf of Asav, whether it was actually a guy that we've, you know, there was some kind of very embodied struggle that happened with Yaakov. And it left, you know, it left him with a physical impact. It left him with his name. And what I think is remarkable about this story, you know, whoever and whatever that challenge looked like exactly, that not only he said, okay, I'm going to come out of this. I'm going to prevail. I'm also going to have the chutzpah to ask for a blessing. You know, you would think it would have been enough to say, I'm struggling. Okay, phew. I, you know, it looks like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to win this fight to say, no, actually you can't go until you bless me. And to think that like, that's part of the idea of what it means to be part of Yisrael, that even in the struggles that we're facing, not only, it's not only enough that we're supposed to struggle with God, that like Dafka specifically in those moments, we're supposed to ask for a blessing. And like people were saying, you know, connecting it to what he may have experienced in the, this past week's Parsha with the Jacob's Ladder story. I think that that experience must have had an impact on him to be able to say, what is it, you know, in this moment that allows me to ask for a blessing? So just to kind of, rem- the the one line from that other story that speaks to me here is where he says, he wakes up from the sleep where he had the vision of the ladder and says, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. How awesome is this place? And I, I at least the way I read him, I have to think of him as as a person who, that al- like that fundamentally altered his being to be able to say, in any place where a, I may not think that God is there, I could be wrong. And I have to be looking for where God is in that moment. And so that it, when he found himself in this place of struggle, whether he knew it was, a, you know, a, an angel or a divine being or, or a person to be able to say, OK, maybe God is also in this place, whether I know it or not. And like, OK, please, like, please give me the blessing. So that's, that's how I'm reading how Jacob got out of that asking, you know, asking for a blessing. Do we, are there any other people who want to share some, some closing, closing thoughts, Larry, and then Lisa? I'm going to go back to Rabbi Schatz's um, discussion this morning about Hamakom and my interjection this morning about the use of the name, the Adonai or the yud vav which is a name of God or the name of God. And notice in the story this morning about the ladder, Yaakov knows the name of God. He says that Adonai is there. He doesn't say the name of God here. And in fact, he uses the word makom and read the Hebrew of the ending. He calls makom God, or the God place, or whatever we want to take it. He calls it 
Peniel. He doesn't call it yud Hey vav Hey or any variation of that. He doesn't call it by God's name. I don't know where I'm to go with this, but I'm always I'm always struck, as I said this morning, how easily in English we use God, 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 when in fact there are so many different and rich and very differentiated ways of talking about God and God's name. And I really think that we ought not to do that. I think we ought to be very clear. When we're talking about Yodhei Bavai, we either ought to be using Adonai, which I don't mind using, or Hashem, or the Lord. And not use the word God, because it confuses us. Where I thought you were going, I know this is not my teaching, but where I thought you were going was that he asks for the person's name at the end of what Rachel's talking about, and yet he knew God's name, which goes back to what I said at the beginning of this teaching, which is maybe it was just a guy, because if you <laughs> if you already know Adonai's name, and that's who you might be struggling with, unless, you know, God has some kind of disguise on, you already proved to us that you know who that is. So in this moment, you know, is it is it someone different or is it is it supposed to be manifesting God in a different in a different form? Right. I think he's I I'm seeing his him as somebody who's like now open to being surprised. Sort of like, you know, maybe I think I know who God is. I maybe I think you're different, maybe you're not. Um like you know, I've been surprised before. I'm open to being surprised again. Um, but to- yeah, totally. Um, Lisa, you had a comment? Yeah, I, I think I really enjoyed your comments. I think like when, when something happens and we no longer experience our life the way we used to, and when that spiritual awakening happens, so a few things happen at the same time, right? Um, the presence of God comes upon you and, and you, you don't, you don't know what it is. And when you don't know what something is, the first thing you want to say is, who are you? What's your name? It's so mysterious. And it changes you. And it changes you. And suddenly there's more space in you. And when you have more space, you understand what the word makom means. Makom is space. And I think that that's what, where the place of a bracha happens. Because a bracha can't be given the only way you can receive a bracha is if you make space in yourself, if you make makom. So I think, I think, I think at that point, Yaakov just made makom and re- and realized his own blessing. So he could have gotten it. It didn't really matter, you know. Bless me. He was being blessed just by making the makom. Very nice in himself. Um. So with any any other burning thoughts, I want to make sure we we have time to to get to Havdalah on time. Lisa, uh, Joanna, yeah. I'll just share a final thought that I wonder if um, just before verse 31, um, where Jacob names the place Peniel, because that said, suggests to me that um, in the same way that he previously named the place from the previous stream, Betel, that he did realize that it was God. Um, um, and he knew it at that point, like, if there's a beaten time between verses 30 and 31, meaning like up until that moment, he hadn't recognized it. But then in reflecting on everything that had just happened, he's like, oh, this must be kind of like what happened to me in that last dream. In fact, it was God. So now I'm going to call this place Peniel. Very nice. Nice connection. Um, so with that, I, I wish for all of us a, um, a week going forward of finding 
Hamakom, God of finding Hamakom, space of finding the places physically and inside us where even in struggle, we can partner with God to find and ask for the blessings that will keep leading us forward. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.